Welcome to the Samson Strength Coach Collective podcast. We've created this collective in order to grow a network of strength coaches who are consistently raising the standard within our industry and as an educational resource for coaches of all levels. Make sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Samson underscore EQ. This episode features Corliss Fingers, Director of Strength and Conditioning for Bethune-Cookman, and James Widener, Assistant Strength Coach for Bethune-Cookman, hosted by Anthony Grasso. All right, well, so let's, let's get started. I mean, I, so again, I don't really know how to like open these things up or whatever, but this, this is the Samson Collective uh, podcast, and we're here with Coach Corliss Fingers and James Whitner here from Bethune-Cookman. So it's a pleasure to have you guys on. And, and really what I want to do is give you both, you know, I said the initial three minutes or, or so, however long you need to take. Obviously, Corliss, you, you know, you, I think your experience level is a little bit more than the collective of, of James and myself. But, um, you know, obviously the only thing I know about, about you guys is what I read off of the, you know, I, 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 watch, I watch the Beyond the Chalks and, uh, you know, I'm looking at the, uh, you know, the, the bio that they give you on Bethune-Cookman. But obviously, like, at least like here at UConn, sometimes the bios aren't always like, necessarily up to date so I want to give you guys an opportunity to just go through um so James if, if you want to go first since like I said both of our you know experience is probably a little bit shorter so you could run through and, and and you know take this take us all the way back to James like when this started for you when I mean it doesn't even have to be as far as like when strength and conditioning started for you just like you know uh where you went to college maybe even you had passions before that sport history things of that effect uh and, and take us all the way up to, to where you're at today and kind of your, your story a little bit give give the people a little, little background Okay, so I'm a, I'm a, I'm gonna try really hard to cover that in three minutes because um it, it leads up to um, take your time take as long as you want. It's just a guy like, you take as long it, as you want. It, it leads up to, to to Coach Fingers because of our the strength and conditioning community like 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 we've been connected before she actually allowed me to work for. Her. So um go going back, I developed a, a really big passion for lifting. Um when I was in high school, um, in high school, I had a, I had an offensive line coach that acted as our strength coach and he was really great. Um, he was a great mentor to me. Um, his name was, uh, coach Marshall Hayes. And that initially got me into lifting, but my first formal lifting coach was Gail Hatch. Um, I wanted to play football and my, my mother decided if I was going to play football, she didn't want me getting out there and getting beat up. And so I started lifting with Gail Hatch. And that's when I realized that from a formal approach that you could be really good at lifting. And that's when I really like fell in love with lifting barbells. And from that, it helped me to understand, okay, people can um, get paid to do this. So when I went to um, school, I started off at Southern University because that was the um, the hometown university. Um, a bunch of my family members were big Southern University supporters. So I attempted to go there first. They didn't offer a direct exercise science program. So I transferred to Southeastern Louisiana University. And what I thought you had to do at the time was to go into physical therapy somehow and get into sports medicine. I was still like unfamiliar of the approach to get into strength and conditioning. So upon my final semester there, I had spent some time working at a physical therapy clinic as a tech, accruing hours to go to PT school. And one of my professors noticed that and he said, well, for your final semester, I want you to connect with a guy named Tommy Byers that has a company called Elite Athletics. So Tommy Byers was a strength coach at LSU in the late 80s, early 90s. And then he branched off and got his own business um, 
that he and Kurt Hester kind of started together. And once I interned with Coach Tommy Byers and saw how incredibly excited those kids were when you taught them how to lift, it blew my mind. And ever since then, it was like no turning back. So I worked for Coach Tommy Byers for about four years. And then I realized that to break into the college sector, you either have to be well-connected or you have to find a way to get working experience. So my way of getting a working experience is going to graduate school so I can get some coaching experience under my belt. And through a course of action, I tried a bunch of schools, didn't really get accepted, but um, I emailed some coaches um, out there. Coach Bill Gillespie at Liberty University emailed me back. He told me um, he'll be glad to give me a shot as an intern. Um, Liberty accepted me in the graduate program. I worked under um, Coach Bill Gillespie as an intern, got my master's from Liberty. And through that course of action, you know, like I said, I was still working my way, trying to get connected, didn't really understand the politics of strength and conditioning at that time. So I'm in Lynchburg, Virginia. I'm reaching out to people. I'm writing people. I'm shopping my resume. And <laughs> I'm about to give up. I'm about to throw my hands up. And um, before I kind of, like, did that, I, I wrote Coach Fingers. And um, I told her about the struggles I was having trying to break into the industry. And she she wrote me back. And then she set up a phone call with me. And her and I talked about an hour and 45 minutes. Her just giving me ideas, sharing information with me. Now, this is before I actually, like, formally met her. Like, so I just reached out to her. And, um, and you know, she, she responded back just to check on me, see how I was doing. Because uh, she, she understood that, you know, that whole process at the time. So. She, you know, she shared that information with me, you know, kept lifting me up, kept feeding me information and ideas to do throughout that time. So along that way, I met another coach by the name of Rob Phillips at Tulane. And he and I developed also um, a strong relationship. And once he and I developed that relationship, he connected me with the strength coach at Bethune-Cookman at the time, Coach Mega Harris. And... Coach Mega told me, he was like, well, if, if, if Coach Rob thinks it's a good idea, then I think it's a good idea. So Mega gave me an opportunity at Bethune-Cookman. And then after a year, my first year with Coach Mega, he moved on to Alabama State. Once he moved on to Alabama State, then I'm thinking, you know, well, I know how this goes, <laughs> you know. And lo and behold, who gets the head position at Bethune-Cookman but Coach Carlos Fingers. So it's like, so I, and I say that all the time um, that I've, I've just been in like really fortunate situations and um, I've always had like great people around me, great mentors around me from, um, from Coach Hatch teaching me how to live, from Coach Tommy teaching me how to teach, from Coach Bill teaching me the ins and outs, the X's and O's and the, intric and the intricacies of strength and conditioning. But also at, at Liberty University, one person I can't forget, um, Coach Dave Williams, he actually, you know, taught me the ministry part of it. And that's one thing I, that I got from Liberty University, you know, being an institution that it is, you know, also being here at Bethune-Cookman, that's one of the liberties we have is to not only just be coaches, but this is this is a part of our ministry. We share a lot of information outside of strength conditioning, you know, with our student athletes and with our programs. 
So just I, I've just been blessed to be in the, you know, be in the midst of like great coaches and great mentors, you know, leading all the way up to the situation I have right now with Coach Fingers. <laughs> James, that is a wild story, man. I'm like, I'm, I had no idea that it was good. Like, I'm thinking, like, all right, because you guys crossed paths earlier. You had the, the hour, 45-minute conversation, right? So I'm thinking to myself, all right, that's probably – she probably got, you know, Corliss ends up with the Tune Cookman, and she gives, you know, James a call or something like that. That What? That is crazy. That is crazy. And, and not to mention, I mean, I mean, you yeah, so you're under Gail Hatch, and then you got an opportunity to be under Phil Gillespie. I mean, so that's – yeah, I don't. I, I did not see the the Gale Hatch. The Gale Hatch is a very rare find when it comes to, like people who are, have actually been coached under Gale. Um, I, I was an intern at Alabama once. When I was down there, I was you know I came across more people then than I do now that I'm back up in you know, the Northeast where I'm from. But um, that's so I, I I can imagine what your your exposure has been to the technical components of Olympic weightlifting that have been under Gale Hatch. So yeah, I I, I, uh, I appreciate that for sure. But that is that's an awesome that's an awesome story. This is this is great. This is great stuff to hear. So. Um, and yeah, I know, and it's it's always important. Obviously, shout out everybody who's kind of come. There's always so many people, right? Like it's it's there's so many people who have kind of like stuck their neck out there for you. If you've succeeded in this industry in some capacity, right? There's always people who have invested in you and, and kind of given you the go ahead. And I, you know, I've kind of always gone with the whole like prove people right thing. I know it's like people are like, oh, like I'm gonna prove the haters wrong kind of thing. It's like, well, why don't you prove all the people right who actually put your put themselves in position of sacrifice to get you to where you're able to go? So I appreciate that. That that seems to be more of the the approach that you've taken and, and, and you know you seem really grateful for that so um yeah if if uh if so is, that, is that the end of the story or does this thing get crazier is that is that where it is <laughs> okay all right so if, that, if that's good if you're if you're good with that you know it's an, an incredible intro so um Corliss if, if you want to go now and so, so it's funny because reading off your bio it's that your bio starts I think it, it starts Probably at five years old, it says. He's one of those things started. It says you started at five when you began track and field in the whole state of North Carolina. Yeah. So I, I think that's probably the farthest back I've ever read any bio ever start for any sort of, you know, school that I've ever read, you know, written, read before. So, um, yeah, let's, uh, let's hear where, where you got. And I've got some questions for you, obviously, as we go through, but I'll let you, you know, yeah, wherever yeah, you want to go with it. I think five years old is the earliest I can remember of just loving sports, like a ran track running every sport they allow me to play and even the ones they didn't want me to play, wanted to take part in. But I think mine, my interest, kind of, all my cousins were in the weight room in high school. And I got a bunch of cousins that are about the same age. And I just go in there with, especially if I'm catching a ride with somebody, you know, after school, they're on the football team, you know, whatever. I'll go in there and fool around with it. But ran track at the University of North Carolina. My strength coach was Rich Tootin. He actually left us. They went to the Denver Broncos and spent many years there and it kind of struck my interest not in the way that most people would think it wasn't well like oh i love this like this is great it was more of a this is stupid um why am i lifting all this weight how in the world does a plus b gonna equal c like there and i would cheat you know he would say do this do that and i'm like sure check it off like i did it like there's got to be a better way so my interest was a little bit different more of a there's got to be a different way for me. Why am I lifting the same weight as he's lifting? And then I was a physical education major, majored in education. And then I did my student teaching. And I realized I don't like kids. I'm like, this is crazy. Elementary kids at that? And I went to my advisor my junior year. And I'm like, you got to find something else. I- I'm going to kill somebody's kid. Like, I can't do this. They bad. They whining. Somebody just start crying. Like, there's got to be something else. And he was like, Whoa. 
you're in your junior year. Like, what do you mean? I'm like, I don't care. Figure it out. So we figured out that a lot of my credits transferred over to physical education, concentration in wellness and fitness. So I had all the science stuff. So I kind of went that route. And afterwards, I graduated. I'm like, what now? You know, I got this, this new shiny degree. What do I do with it? Especially since I'm not going in the classroom. And down the street, Spy Health Clubs, the director was the AD when I was at Carolina. And now he's kind of getting toward retirement age and he's working at this club. So he hires me and I'm personal training and I'm making clients cry. And I'm just, again, there's got to be something else. There's got to be something more to this. But at that time, there weren't many women in strength and conditioning, none that I knew of, especially black women. And right down the street, uh, at my alma mater, they get a new football coach and a new strength and conditioning coach, Jeff Mad Dog Madden. Mm-hmm. And background come to town. And one of the football players actually kind of worked at the Spy Health Club over the summertime or, you know, just doing odds and ends, swiping people in. And he overheard Dog talking about wanting to get the guy's feet moving a little bit more, maybe do some ballet or you know, some type of, you know, something moving. And he's like, there's this, this little girl down at the street at this health club that teaches this funk aerobics class, which is like the new Zumba, you know, today, back in the day. So if you're not in her class by a certain time, you don't have a spot. I mean, they be jamming. That dog reaches out to me. Next thing you know, I'm teaching a football team aerobics. I'm every bit of 125 pounds, 5'4", I mean, itty bitty. And he locked us in this room, cranked the heat up, and it was to Lyman. And the big skill, like your linebackers or your running backs that are kind of overweight, mm. he threw us in there. And at the end of five weeks, which was, you know, spring, kind of like off season, they lost weight. Their feet were moving. We had a great time. He loved the way I commanded the room. Um, I was not intimidated easily. It was several times they hated to hear we starting over. Like, if I didn't like the way it was, you know what? Because this is a tape record, so I'm like, hold on. Hit me one. We starting over. I don't like the way y'all attitude is. So at the end of that, Mad Dog asked me, he was like, well, what is it that you want to do? And I'm kind of like, well, I want to do what y'all are doing. But, you know, women don't do that. And he was like, well, now they do, basically. He's actually got a position mm-hmm. open. You know, let's see what you do. Three years, no problems. Had a great time. They go off to Texas. That was too far. I want to stay on the East Coast. Too hot. I went to Maryland and I spent 15 years with Dwight Gall at Maryland. Um, had a fabulous time there. Um, really got a chance to work with a variety of sports. I can't think of too many sports there I did not work with. And when my husband um, got this brand new PhD, he was like, you know, let's go to Louisiana. Cause I'm like, my career is fine. Let's follow you a little bit. We get to Louisiana. He's at LSU. I'm staying at home. I'm going to be this, this at-home mom that lasted two weeks. Um, I couldn't take it anymore. And I reached out to a few schools in the area because I am a master strength coach, see if any other Kinesi students wanted to take the CSCCA and had no idea Southern University was currently without a strength coach. So 45 minutes after me sending that email, they're calling me in for an interview the next day. And I'm just like, uh, me and my son? Because I don't have a babysitter. We just got here. They were like, yeah, sure. Dressed him up, you know, bought him in. We sat in the head coach's football office. It was pretty funny because he had me sitting. It was um, Stump Mitchell at the time. He had me sitting outside of his office. And I'm like, you know, I have nothing to lose. 
And after a while, what I didn't know, he was in there talking to his former coach, which was Ralph Friedrich, who I had worked with for so many years in Maryland. And when I go in his office, it looked like something straight out of the Godfather, because we're just like staring at each other. And I'm just like, you know, so what's up? You know, you got any questions for me? Because yeah. I had this attitude. I'm like, you got me sitting outside, you know, whatever. Yeah. I don't need you. Like, I'm just, you know, I came here to be a housewife. I'm good. He said, yeah, I got a question. I was like, well, what's your question? He said, when can you start? That was the beginning of our conversation. And I'm like, you don't know me because actually I do. I just got off the phone with my coach who coached me at the Citadel. And he had nothing but amazing things to say about you. So when can you start? And I'm like, let's go. I spent... Um, three and a half years at Southern and my husband and I really wanted to work together. So when Bethune Cookman came calling, um, Laura White is a softball co-chair and her and I worked together in Maryland and my husband was our sports psych guy at Maryland as well. And so she's like, I know a husband and wife team to take over these two vacant spots and the rest is history. So 26 years later, I'm still doing this. That's awesome. Yeah, you're talking about the Godfather. Now you're speaking my language. My mom's from Italy, so yeah, I, was, I can I can only imagine what. <laughs> so we were, we were sitting, I'm sitting there, like looking at him. Yeah, he's looking at me. So we just gonna stand here and look at each other, like. <laughs> yes. Yeah. You got any questions? I said, yeah. You got any questions for me? It was awesome, and he is amazing. Yeah. Um, he still says that if he ever gets a head NFL job that I am going to be his strength coach. I'm going to be somewhere on his staff. I like, okay. All right. I believe yeah. that we turned some things around at, at Southern. Um, yeah. He saw, he saw what I could do. So. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. And so you, you, you happen to skim over the, uh, the national championship at Maryland. I noticed I, I'm obviously a very humble person, but, um, but, and also at Maryland, I, I tell you, you, you were working with 20 of the 27 teams. So as you said, you, you, there wasn't a team that you didn't work with. You didn't seem like you had, you had an opportunity to work with at that time. What was the, uh, the setup there? Cause now obviously they have more assists. I'm assuming at that time, right. They didn't have any, you know, were you the only assistant there at that time? No, it was Dwight got, um, I was number one assistant for a while. Uh, we had Damian Stevens, and then when he left and started his own company, Craig Fitzgerald joined our staff. We had Barry Kagan. There was about five or six of us. And what Dwight did was we had, each of us had about, you know, three or four teams. At one point, I really had seven because I had teams within the team. So I had the track right. and field team, and then I would also have, like, baseball and softball, which were teams within teams, your pitchers and your position on the track. There's like, oh God, right. the jumpers, you know, the other stuff. But every so many years, he switched us up. You know, mm-hmm. every August we're sitting there in our first meeting and we're just kind of like biting nails, like, please don't take my team from me or I hope he don't give me, you know, so-and-so team. And he would just mix it up and we'd be mad for about a week, but it was always the best thing for us because my resume is stacked. You, they ain't no team I haven't worked with. You know, Mad Dog did something similar at, you know, Carolina. I didn't even know the sport Fitzin before. He's like, okay, you got the Fitzin team. I'm like, what is that? <laughs> so um, he just mixed it up to make sure that we stayed fresh, to make sure that, you know, um, yeah. we were constantly learning, constantly, you know, it forced us to reach out to other universities, other schools. You know, I'm, I've now got uh, the golf team. I, I don't know anything about right. golf. Okay, do some research. Figure it out. They start, right. you know, meet, you meet with the coach next week, and then you guys start, you know, September 1st or whatever. So, right. yeah, right. quite a few sports when, when you have a boss that forces you to get out your comfort zone. 
Yeah, and like you said, obviously increase that 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 versatility that you have. And I, I mean, maybe that was one of the first things that someone told me when I got into the field. They're like, hey, just make sure you can work with any team at any point in time, and and don't you know uh, whether you want to be involved in one sport or the other, just work with everybody, and obviously increase your skills and in, in all that regard. So, and you so how work. is it set up? Yeah, ex- exactly. Right. And, they, I, and I think had sport before, and now you got that sport. You know, you're gonna have to go to them and be like, okay. Is so-and-so cranky all the time? Or, you know, did you notice that her knees were kind of wobbly or little things like that? So you had to work. I mean, we had a family. It really was. We had no choice but to have a family. So... Sure. Yeah, that makes sense. And obviously, like you said, it's going to force you to even potentially reach out and branch out and network with other universities. Like, hey, I'm having this particular issue with this particular team. Do you have any experience with this? Whatever the case may be. So, so how is it? How is it set up now at Bethune Cookman? So I know uh, James, you're working with again just off of the bio. You're overseeing men's and women's basketball, but you assist football, baseball, and men's and women's track. Is that still is that still true, or is that are you working with other teams? Well, let me I'll start. When I first got there, I kind of took some stuff, same thing, took some stuff from them. I asked them, I started out, it was five of us. I had two GAs, a full-time, a part-time, then me. And I had everybody secretly write down all the sports they were working with, all the sports they don't want to work with, and all the sports they wish they worked with. And I kind of mixed them up to get them out of their comfort zone. Um, and since then, um, our GA position is gone, and we just had one of our assistants leave last week, I think it's been a week now, to be the head strength coach at a high school in Arizona. So right now, it is just me and Coach James at this current moment. Really? So we're going to have to, like, wow. figure it out. But, okay. yeah, he's worked yeah. with quite a few there. Go ahead. All right, your turn now. <laughs> yeah, so, um, so before Coach Fingers got there, it was a situation to where – I had a different set of teams. Um, everybody at the time was um, working with football in some capacity. Um, if a GA was with track and field, then I was there to basically just help and support the GA if they needed anything with track and field. Um, I worked with it, – it was a, a small period of time where I had men and women's basketball together. Then also I took on tennis as well. Then I was an assistant with baseball. Then over a period of time, I took on baseball. And like Coach Fingers said, when she came in, she wanted us to give us a, um, a more diverse look, introduce us to more teams, different teams, work with different coaches, different programs. Um, and and that basically would help us to gain just more experience and made us more marketable at the end of the day. So, But, yeah, now in this situation, it's, it's just the two of us, so we got we to gotta work with everybody, you know. Yeah, I can imagine that's gonna be that's gonna be not only just the two of you, it's two it's the two of you coming back from a pandemic too. So that's, right. I can only imagine the the challenges that are gonna arise there. And so, so coach, what uh, coach Corliss, which teams are you directly overseeing? Or obviously, you oversee everything, but what which teams are you directly working with now? Well, prior to um, the end of the spring, I basically uh, designed and implemented for just football and softball, but softball designer programs, but I will have our graduate assistant help me with implementing because we, they overlap sometimes. Sometimes they were overlapped, sometimes they were right behind each other where I would be finishing up with one team in another room or outside on the field and that GA would get the softball team started. Um, there were some times when, because somebody likes to train on the, on the weekend. So if I'm traveling with football, then the GA would train them on that Saturday. So. Mainly, I mean, I was there from 90% of their 
training, but I would have the GA take over, but mainly football. You know, football can be a beast as far as how much, right. you know, the amount of time that's put into it, but mainly right. football. Interesting. Yeah, that's uh, it's got to be a big operation there. So, yeah, like you said, football, I mean, just the, just the quantity here. I mean, it, yes. it really kind of puts you in a position. And, you know, and moving towards something that we would like to call, everybody calls buy-in, right, in the, in the yeah. industry, like different ways, obviously, to create context for the athletes. So, James, if you can kind of go through maybe some of the, the ways that you try to create buy-in with your athletes and the teams that you work with. And, and I know, you know, buy-in is a phrase that's just, like I said, it's, it's universal. Everybody uses it now, but um, more so I, I feel like buy-in is a way of basically taking the things that you are truly passionate about and trying and the values you think are super important and figuring out a way to get your athletes to then believe in, in that same philosophy. So how do you go about doing that specifically when it comes to the athletes and the teams that you work with? Just relationship building and um and with the relationship building, just spending more time with them and not just time in the weight room. Um, there it's like as a as a strength coach, it, it's it's easy for me to be transparent when I'm outside the weight room. So when I'm at basketball practice and I'm spending time at basketball practice, or when I'm at tennis practice, I'm spending time at tennis practice, and the, the same thing with um with weight. With baseball, I, I get a chance to spend time there, see what they're doing. And at our institution, like I said, we have, um, it's so family oriented, we have opportunities to engage. I get an opportunity to engage in, in basketball practice. Am I a great basketball player? Absolutely not. Do they see that? Of course they do. And that lets them know, okay, he's a real person. He's not just a guy screaming out sets and reps in the, in the weight room. He's, he's here and he's making himself vulnerable so we can see he's going to airball this free throw and we're going to laugh at it, you know, but you know, it, at the end of the day, this, this is just an, another part of the support system that we have. So um, same thing at tennis and baseball. They know I, I, I can't really throw a baseball, but I try, you know, so it's, it's just spending time with them, supporting them, not just being there when it's just my turn as in warming them up or stretching them out. Um, but just you know, being there, observing them, spending time with them, building relationships and that way they understand that this person is really invested in my success. I'm not just a part of his job, but, I, but, but I'm invested in their success as a student athlete throughout this entire experience here. So that's basically what makes it easy for them to look at me and say, okay, this guy is, has a genuine concern for what I have going on at this institution. Right. I think there's that humanizing effect, right? They see you as more of a human than just a coach or somebody, like you said, somebody who's just there to, to do what they need to do. And, and obviously, I think we all have gotten into this industry for our own you know, personal interest. Obviously, we all have an interest in some capacity, right? So um, you mentioned that you're, you had a little bit of a, like you'd, you'd be at practices and you have a particular role that you play during practice, whether it be warming guys up or, you know, stretching out, stretching guys out, whatever the, whatever the case is. Um, how is your relationship with the sport coaches and the athletic trainers with the team that, that you work with? And do you guys have a particular system that you've seen maybe grow over time in terms of increasing that relationship, the same kind of relationship and trust you'd like to develop with the players? Have you kind of gone in that direction as well with the, the coaches and the, uh, and the support staff as far as the, sport, the people involved in sports medicine? Well, um, I'm, I'm, I'm going to give you an example. Um, like for, uh, for, for Christmas this year, um, my – the, the head basketball coach, Coach Ryan Ritter, he, he bought me a gift card to Hooligans. Hooligans is a, is a wings is a wing place here in Daytona Beach, and they okay. know that I love to hang out at Hooligans because I see them at Hooligans all the time, and that's the 
that's the nature of, you know, our relationship. I mean, we hang out, um, you know, sometimes we just, uh, you know, just discuss it over, you know, over a meal. It's not like this rigid formal, um, you know, uh, we have a staff meeting and, you know, turn your cell phones off. No, it's like, it's, it's, it's like I'm a part of their family. They're a part of my family. And, um, you know, it's a, it, it's a real, it's a real family atmosphere. And, mm-hmm. and my relationship with all of my sport coaches and also the support staff is great. You know, I don't have any problems with anybody. Um, like I say, that, that's because, like, we, we understand that at the end of the day, not only that am I human, but they're human. They have family. You know, they have, um, you know, days where they're going to need support. Sometimes coaches need coaches. Sometimes coaches need, to, you know, need to be inspired and uplifted. And um, so it, it doesn't benefit me just to walk around and, and, and put on this, like, tough exterior, like, you know, maybe – Coach needs some help in this area. Maybe coach, you know, you know, need maybe I need some help in the area. So that's that's pretty much how we, you know, how we develop each other and coach each other. The coaches understand that we sometimes see a different side of their athletes. You know, they trust us because we're neutral. Like we don't say who starts and who doesn't. So they recognize that sometimes athletes respond differently to us. There have been situations where they've begged me, can Coach James go with us? Like, this is a big game. Like, we need him there. And I'm like, he's got five other sports to work with or whatever. It's like, okay, we'll we'll reschedule our travel around him. I'm like, wait, what? The relationship is different. Like, like you said, our wall, we share a wall with the athletic training staff. So they'll come over just to see what's going on. We got a big bell in the weight room with somebody PRs, not just Max Day, but if somebody PRs, they go over and they ring that bell you know, they'll go, you know, somebody from out of the training room, like, what's going on here? We keep hearing that bell ringing. As far as our athletic trainers, it's a great relationship because it's a, an open relationship dialogue constantly. Like, yeah. I am always in there saying, hey, I'm thinking about doing X, Y, and Z with, you know, these athletes. I know they're slowly progressing back from, you know, whatever injury. What do you think? Too much? Too little? And they'll be like, you um, yeah, I think that'll be good. Or let's just do only two sets of it. It's not, you know, don't tell me how to do my job and I'm not going to tell you. It's an open dialogue. Um, some of the most wackiest stuff that we've thought of, we'll get Mr. J, who's the head athletic trainer for football. I'll be like, Mr. J, come here. I want you to try something. And we'll string him up to something and add a dumbbell to it. And say, okay, now walk backwards. And he'll say, where are you feeling that? Oh, my God, I feel in my back or my hamstring. Okay, great. I'm thinking about giving it to so-and-so. What do you think? And he'd be like, ah, great idea. Like, we think outside of the box. Um, we work really well together with all the athletic trainers. You know, we got them on speed dial. You know, we understand how some of our athletes respond when the trainer around all of a sudden, you know, they can't breathe. And we're like, okay, I want you to be there, but can you stay in your car? So we'll get more out of them. <laughs> but as far as our, our trainers and our coaches, we really do. Like, it, it's a fan. Like, it's a dysfunctional family at times, but it's a family atmosphere. So Coach James brings a lot to the coaching staff, and they know it. So they are constantly, you know, any, you know it's something when they want to hang out with you on the weekends and, and you know, at right. evening too. What are you doing? Are we down at so-and-so? Why don't you come on and join us? Come have a beer with us. Come, you know, yeah. whatever. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, Coach Coyle, continuing with that theme. So obviously now you're, you know, you're, you completely oversee everything, right? You're a little bit more of a, of a supervisory role, like being a director of training conditioning. So is part of your passion, well, 
I'll kind of let you flow with it. But it, it, where, where, where are the things? Like, there's, there's things that people describe as like, oh, this is what gets me out of bed in the morning, right? That'd be something that motivates you. But, uh, and I describe those things as probably the same things that keep you up at night, right? There's certain things that just kind of like, all right, you're, you're tormented by this problem that you want to solve, and it's what kind of keeps us going. And, and I think you know, for both of you here, describe listening to you guys describe your stories, um, you, you have that type of personality where it's like, I'm going to overcome every single thing I need to overcome in order to get what I need to get. I gotta accomplish. I gotta accomplish the thing. So, what are those things for you now? And have they changed over the years? Like what specific pockets of strength and conditioning do you feel most passionate about that you really gravitate towards? Has it, has it changed over the years now that you're overseeing things? Is it more of like a puzzle piece trying to put the pieces of the puzzle together? And then before you had specific, you know, areas that you want to focus on or what, what, what is driving you at this point? And has it changed from where it has been before? The things that has changed, I mean, most of it's the same, but the thing that's changed is my son. You know, I had an 11-year-old. He comes to work every single day. Um, he's on the sideline. He's, you know, wherever. His eyes are so innocent, and he's seeing everything differently. So my drive now is to make sure the picture that he sees, not only of me, but of our student athlete, is one that he can learn from. They're his role models. So I'm trying to pull greatness out of every athlete that comes through that weight room. You know, 90 5.9% of our athletes are not going pro. They're not. And so I want better fathers, better mothers, better sisters, better aunties, better entrepreneurs, better, you know, employees. And you get a lot of that from the weight room, from getting up at a certain time to fighting through, you know, whether it's lack of sleep, um, keep trying, there's a way you keep failing it. Throw some chalk on your hand, you know, get a sip of water. Let's try it again. So there's so many things that he can learn from just by watching them. So my motivation is, is different. My, my approach is different. It's I want that person when they walk in the door, when they walk out to be better than they was when they walked in, whether it's mentally, emotionally, spiritually, physically. So knowing that he's watching them, He's watching them develop. He's watching me. Um, it's, it's a different approach. It's each day when I go to bed at night, I, I, I want to thank God for using me. And each morning when I pull out of my driveway, I stop and I say, let me make a difference in somebody's life today. Because I know life is short. Um, where are we at? You know, it's, we don't have a whole lot, but we make do with what we got. And I'm also showing them. We got a little bit, but we're going to make it do, you know, we're going to, we're going to turn it into something great. Um, I'm not a typical strength and conditioning coach. I don't look like your typical strength and conditioning coach. So I'm also, you know, my motivation is to show others you can do whatever it is that you set your mind to do and be great at it. Don't stop until you're great at it. Don't let nobody tell you what you can't do. So yeah, my motivation has, has changed a little bit before it was to get the respect to show that I belong here um, and now is to pull somebody else along with me, you know, yeah. um, coach James is amazing. He has grown in the five years he's become, I know he's, he says he's gotten so many di- different things from so many different coaches in different places that he's been. But I think at Bethune Cookman, he's learned and he's found his voice, like his coaching style, his actual voice and how to use it. Cause he didn't use it as much. So I like to pull along others, pull out the greatness out of everyone else. That's why when you're like, who, who can we bring on? Are we bringing on Coach James? Because I want the world to see how much 
he's grown or how awesome that he is. So my motivation now is just to pull greatness out of my student athletes, you know, my coworkers, people around me. My tactic might be different. Um, my approach is going to be a little in your face, um, yeah. a little forceful. But, you know, I just know that I want to make my, my son proud. I want to make my husband proud. I want to make my coworkers proud. So my motivation is just a little different. It's the approach is still the same. It's going to always yeah. be in your face, <laughs> no filter. Um, don't care about your feelings, dry your tears up, but yeah. you'll appreciate it later. You'll appreciate it later. I, I get that so much now from football players and just athletes that are married with kids and you know, whatever. It's like, I ain't understand it now. I mean, then, but there is a method to your madness. So my right. approach is just more so for, the, for my family. Yeah. Oh, it a hundred percent makes sense. And we're, we're going to come back to that. I do want to touch on, uh, you know, specifically one thing you did say about the finding your voice. I mean, that is so important. And obviously, you know, it, it's funny you say specifically finding your voice because that phrase was actually used by one of, one of my most important mentors is uh, someone I used to coach baseball with. He actually uh, passed away cancer, you know, a long, you know, I'd say a little over five, six years ago. Um, and he said that to me, I remember when I was younger and I was trying to get into coaching and his name was Andy Noel. And he was like, you're going to be good, but you, you know, you could be great if you really find your voice, you know what I mean? You got to find your voice, whatever it is, you know, it's like, it's there. So, um, you know, go, going, going to you, James, obviously, you know, building off of what coach Corliss said about finding your voice. Um, what, what, are, what are these things for you? Like, what are these specific passions for you that really motivate you? Do you have specific areas? Obviously, you know, learning how to girl hatch, I would assume that you like the Olympic weightlifting, but, um, you know, what, what are the specific things that, that really like excite you and, and you're really, really passionate about being thorough and technical with when it comes to strength and conditioning? It could be a weight room, it could be speed work, plyos, psychological preparation, whatever it is. What are those things for you, James? Man, I still like teaching. And, um, Whenever I have a teaching moment, I'll stop everything because it's important for me to know that they really understand this moment. Um, like Coach Fingers said a moment ago, a lot of our athletes aren't going to leave here and, you know, make hundreds of millions of dollars playing professional sports. But we want to assure that they're professional in some aspect, that they're going to be great fathers and mothers, great citizens. So if ever we have a situation in the weight room that can transcend athletics into the real world. We got to address it and we got to speak on it. And, and, and sometimes I, I'll allude to elaborating on it so it, it, I can make it make sense to them. And that's one thing I always make sure I, I, I do because there's so many great mechanics to strength and condition. There's so many great tacticians. You know, so many people that could, you know, blow the whistle, that could design the programs, that, 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 and that's fine. But I never skip over a moment to stop, and we got to address this issue. And I want to make sure that they understand. I want to make sure that they understand. Yeah, we, we, we've had some times. Oh, it's awesome. Time. We've had some times. But, but, but like I said, I, I'm still passionate about teaching, and I'm still passionate about translating the message that they can carry on past athletics. And I'm, and I'm still passionate about that. He gives the best speeches. Like, they not, really? they, he be getting in like, and he's right. And he takes teaching <laughs> moments. Um, I'll never forget, I'm in my office, that office he's in there, and I'm typing, and I'm doing whatever. And he had been calling one of the freshman basketball players. And all of a sudden, you know, they come through the door late, 
and he's getting on them. And wherever they were coming from, either the dorms or, you know, practice, whatever, it was kind of like a walk. Whereas seniors were coming in the back door and he lit into them. But it wasn't like, it was very like, you're going to learn your lesson today. And so basically he said, hey, where you coming from? Oh, you know, you know, I'm doing this and I'm doing it. Did you drive? Well, yeah, yeah, you know, I drove and everything. Well, this freshman right here, who don't know what, you know, is walking from the other side of campus from, you know, class or getting, and he was late. And we got but a few minutes to get this work in because you didn't think enough to check on the younger generation or the younger guys or whatever. Can you play this game without him? Oh, you can't? Yeah. Then you need to make sure, oh, it was opposite of going, yeah, damn, getting him. Oh, he got into him, but it wasn't <laughs> in the, it wasn't in our type way. It was a teaching moment. And so I don't even think he let them lift weights. I think it was like, like get your stuff and get out the weight room. When you decide to be a team player or a leader or a senior and take care of the freshman like you're supposed to, then you can come back. Yeah. You know, freshman get left after that. Y'all need a ride? Where y'all going? Yeah. You want me to take you? Like, he takes yeah. the opportunity to really do teach moments. And we got some classic sayings that we don't got. <laughs> Like, they're legendary. <laughs> this ain't no game. <laughs> and we got a whole bunch of, like, one-liners that we have gotten from some of his speeches. So, yeah, he's really good at the teaching, teaching moments. Damn, all right. There you go, James. That's all I like to hear. You are be a little shy of me. I didn't know you had that, James. That's funny, his man. Voice. It's good, though. It's good. Yeah, and it's, and it's, and it's important. You know, I'm, I'm a big advocate for just, like, having conversations with athletes, especially today's athletes. They don't, they don't want to hear, you know, just – yelling just to just to feel like oh my coach just wants to yell today right like they want to know that they have some sort of message and some sort of purpose behind the things that you're saying and the words that are coming out of your mouth and then you know for the most part you know it seems like james i don't know if you would agree with this but I, when uh, we had i had someone show up a little bit late yesterday at a training session he was the one kid because our guys to the point now i i want them to be i want them to understand that when the training session starts is not when you should start being mentally engaged. You should like, you need to be mentally engaged as you're walking over to the facility. I want you to be here at least, you know, 15, 20, well, there's, there's these protocols now, obviously they have to go through scans and, you know, get your temperature taken all that stuff. Yeah. So, you know, aside from logistics, the idea and the concept of just simply being mentally and physically prepared by the time it's time to step to that line, then the training session starts. It doesn't start once you're like halfway through the warm up and you're like, all right, now I'm good. I'm awake. I'm you know. So, what are what are some of those things that, that you guys have at Bethune as far as the the vision, the values? Like, what are these? Right, we all kind of have them. It's like like my like I like everybody's shoes needs to be tied. Everybody needs to be wearing the same things. Like I you know be on be early right and then be prepared to go. Make sure your teammates all have their minivan with you. Like we all have to give them individual minivans now because we can't share. We're not sharing equipment anymore. So. Um, yeah, what are, what are those things for you guys? Like, what are those, like, minor details that you guys like to really hammer home that you believe in, right? Everyone's got different ones. What are those for, for you guys at Bethune to try to continue that message and, and to continue to get guys to move in the right direction? One of the main things is being on time. Like, we get there early. Um, if a training session starts at 5.30, 4.45, 5 a.m., we in the door. And we're not dragging. So if anybody's standing outside the door waiting or a couple of athletes come in right after us, we're like, hey, what's going on? I've already had 12 ounces of coffee. Coach James already had an energy drink. Like, we want them to see that we're excited about being here. So you need to give us the exams, same thing. Match our energy. So mainly it's like you said, coming in with a purpose. Like, today is the day that I get better. Today is the day I get off the bench. Today is the day that, you know, I become an All-American. 
Um, but you got to be there on time. That's number one. Pet peeve. Don't walk through the door at the exact time. Training starts at six. That door is locked. But you can bang on it all day you want. Even if you come in at five fifty nine, I'm still gonna give you that that look. Mm-hmm. Look through your soul. So I think the biggest thing for us is because we have you know a team right behind it. Like we like to set up the room, get it ready to go. You know whatever it is. We can't, if you come through the door late, then you're throwing off another team's training. You know, there's no way you're going to show up to the bus late to head to the airport because you're going to get left. So if you're not going to do that with Coach Sam, then you're not going to do it with me. So on time, that's one of our, you know, pet peeves. And then just cleaning up. You know, I ain't nobody's mate. I don't have time. Just clean up your platform. Clean up your area. Break your bar down. Put everything presentable, ready for the next group. I think those are number two two pet peeves that we have. But, you know, if we're excited about being here, come through the door with the enthusiasm. We're not asking you to know how to be a strength coach. Just come through the door with a, a eagerness to learn, to get better, and we'll take it from there. Coach James, yeah. what am I forgetting? What, what, what else are some of our, our pet peeves or what we demand? I can, um, I can agree. And uh, we, even have, we, we even have programs that, like, do it, like, really, really well. Like one thing that that bothers me is um, when athletes come in with their flip flops on and then they want to put their shoes on. It's like, no, come through the door ready. And on one of our programs that are really, really great at that, um, baseball, man, baseball will come in. They all got the same color shirt, same color hat, same color shorts, tucked in, shirt tucked in. I'm talking about ready to rock and roll, get there 15 minutes early, foam rolling, stretching out you know, ready to rock and roll. And they do it really well. We have a, a lot of our programs are really good, but mm-hmm. some of them are really exceptional and they are, they are like amazing with it. So, um, mm-hmm. but yeah, and like, and, and, and those are the things that, you know, they, just from the relationship building, they know yeah. what we appreciate because they understand we work really hard. They understand that, you know, you know, every morning, you know, our cars are parked outside the rate room at 4.30, 5 a.m. They understand that. So it's like, well, you know, this is, you know, if they, if they're going to invest that kind of energy and effort into what they do, let, you know, let us show them that, you know, they're appreciated. So, yeah, we, we have programs that do it really well. That's awesome. Yeah, it's good. yeah. I feel like there's there's this, like, discipline through the training process is something that we all try to try to enhance and, and have, be advocates for. And I think, you know, it's, it's one of those things, you know, it's funny because it's like I was telling my brother about this last night. I was like, listen, it doesn't matter what it is that we choose as far as our values go. I mean, yeah, like there are some certain universal ones, but like, let's just figure out what they are and let's hammer them every day. Right. Because I, I believe personally, I believe in the whole death by a thousand cuts thing. It's like, oh, like one time, like, all right, all right, like, don't worry. Yeah, fine. You can you can train or whatever, even though you're late. Right. And it's like, all right, next, all right, yeah, yeah, like, okay, it's fine that your shoes are untied. I'll let it pass for today because the training is almost <laughs> over or whatever. It's like, you know, just keep nicking away. Next thing you know, it's like, now you don't got a program anymore. You know, so I, I, I believe in that stuff. You know what I mean? I know some people think it's a little ridiculous, but, um, you know, I, I, I think – We took it a, a step <laughs> a step farther. Um, track and field can't stay and get up in the morning. Um, and, and I get it. They have such a long day. But, you know, our, the guy that just left, Coach Chris – he took it a step further. They went to get whoever wasn't there. Oh. <laughs> so at six o'clock, we look around, we take a rope. Where's KK? Uh, we all know. Everybody tie your shoes up, let's go. Run to the dorm, because everybody pretty much stands on the dorm. Bang on the door, get your shoes, and then go back to train. The whole 
15. How far is this dorm? You guys <laughs> 10 minute, 10 minute run? Not too bad. But everybody and the throwers hate it. Oh my God. They the ones lagging in the back. <laughs> run to the dorm. Bang on the door, get your teammate, run back, and let's get this lift in. That has really helped with making sure folks are on time, making sure, you know, accountable for each other. The team kind of grew a little bit closer together. Um, right. Yeah, we don't like late. We don't like skip miss. <laughs> we don't like skip training sessions. Right, right. That makes sense. That makes sense. Um, and so mo- moving on, I got, I got a question for you, Coach Corlin. So this, this kind of came to me as I was watching the – is it called Beyond the Truck or – It's Beyond, Beyond the Truck, right? mm-hmm. Okay, so you you talk about – you have three full-time jobs, right? You say, and the full-time, I'm a wife, right? I'm also a mother, right? And I'm a strength coach, right? Full-time jobs. And so and – it, and it really kind of resonated well with me because you know, that, that, that's – the mom that I come from where she's like, I don't care what it is that's going to happen throughout this day. I'm going to do literally everything within my being and potentially beyond my being, right. To make sure that my kids are locked in that my, my husband is locked in, obviously my father. Um, and then obviously she, she owns a salon right now. So like, that's what she does. You know, it's all her, her clients and whatnot. Right. So, but that, I, you know, it seems to me like that's especially right now in our country, right? Like there's a lot of turmoil, there's a lot of things going on, but what are, like, what are, what's the message you have for some of the younger coaches coming in? Because I feel like that message right there, the I'm going to do it by any means necessary, has almost gotten lost with some of the younger, younger strength coaches that I've been able that have come across, you know, that, that, that concept. And this has probably been happening for, for, you know, years. And, you know, people probably say the same thing about my generation or whatever the case is. But, um, you know, that, that sense of almost like I, I put down duty, like duty and obligation, right? That sense of pride and duty and what you, what you have as opposed to the, the complaints that may come. Like, what, what does that, what does that mean to you? And, and could you elaborate on that a little bit more? I think some of the younger strength coaches are entitled. You know, I think they feel that once they come out, of school and they got this degree, they should automatically get this, this, you know, 50K job right off the bat where it hadn't really laid down some roots and found a foundation that works for them. I don't get that opportunity. You know, I'm a, a wife, I chose to get married, all right? I'm a mom, I chose to have a kid, but I was a strength coach first. And none of those areas are gonna, I, I can't slack. I can't go half-ass in any of those areas at all. It's not fair to my athletes to give them mediocre training and mediocre attitude and energy. It's not fair to my husband to not have, you know, him feeling like he's wanted and he's needed and he's appreciated with, you know, just the little things that I do. It's not fair to my son to not, support him in whatever it is that he wants to do academically, you know, sports related, you know, love reading books at the end of the night, making his favorite meals. None of those areas deserve it. So the same thing with strength coach, you can't, you can't go into a a institute and give them half effort. You can't be like, well, I only know how to train basketball and volleyball because those are two sports I had as a GA. You should have gone down the street to another university or a junior college or a high school to observe how bowling is training, to observe how swimming is training, so that you can have more tools to work with. It's a somewhat lazy kind of not going extra above to make yourself better, which doesn't really help your resume. It doesn't really help me because when I look for 
assistance, I'm looking on the resume and I'm reading between the lines when I see things like observed so-and-so training, you know, but design programs for these teams. Um, it means a lot to me to be able to say that I've worked for everything that I've gotten. You know, my son's a straight A. He's never received anything other than the A, the whole entire elementary. He worked at that. And I worked to help instill those qualities in him. Um, Bethune-Cookman has really come a long way athletically, all the different sports. We have worked to that. I've showed them how to fight to get everything that they want, every little small game. You know, my husband has been the director of academic supports. He's been dean of undergraduate studies. Now he's executive director of student affairs. He's worked to get to that. So it's important to show, you know, how I've gotten where I've gone. And a lot of it is hard work. You can't, you, there's nothing that's going to compare to just hard work. You know, you got to yeah. outwork the next person in order to feel proud in yourself and what you've done and what you've gained. Um, and just, just, I mean, it's important for everyone to see that. So when a kid comes in and they're like, well, I couldn't come in because I had this and that. I live 30 minutes away. So that's a 30 minute drive. I must wake right. up between four and 4.15 each morning right. in order to get here on time because I still make a full hot breakfast before I leave my house. Coach James, right. do I not? I make a full <laughs> hot breakfast. My son eats cereal on weekends, but Monday through Friday, he's having oatmeal, pancakes, waffle, bacon, something. Him and right. my everybody makes their, everybody gets their lunch. They take it with them. They, we don't go fast food, but no. I make it because there's food allergies. I know what, you know, same thing. The crock pot is going in the evening. I get mad at the strength staff. When I said, what's for dinner tonight? Oh, I think I'm going to swing by hooligans. I'm like, what? Y'all not cooking? So yeah. I showed them, you know, you got to take care of your body and what you put in it. Then we have cooking lessons. We, you know, they all got crock pots for, for Christmas with a list of, you know, recipes so that they can do a better job of, eating healthy. You can't talk to your athletes about eating healthy and you stop about Wawa every evening. So I don't know, it's, it's, it really is three full-time jobs, but at the same time, I'm trying to show my athletes, you know, that you can do it. You have to work hard in order to get what it is you want. You want to be a straight-edge student, you want to be a starter on, you know, whatever sport, you have to work for it. You can't give a bunch of excuses. You cannot have certain areas weaker than the others. They need to be strong across the top. Right. Absolutely. That makes sense. And, and, and James, do you, I'm sure obviously there's, I don't think there's anybody who would disagree with that, but that's what I, and that's what I wanted you to, that's what I wanted to hear from you because that's the way I saw it when I'm looking at the video. I'm like, you know, you don't, you don't see this as much right now. Like there's a lot of young individuals coming up in, not just in our industry, just, just in general, like you see it with just, you know, younger professionals in general, where there's this almost like this, like you said, there's a little bit of a sense of entitlement, or maybe there's even just almost like a, a lacking of that eagerness and that hunger that we almost feed off of and fed off of when we were younger, right, to try and get us to where we want to go. Sometimes I just, you don't see that fire, you don't see that same passion, right? And obviously that's always based off of whatever their interests may be. But um, it, it was it was really refreshing to see somebody who was sitting there trying to say, you know, I deserve this or I deserve that. It's like, no, this is what I signed up for. This is what I wanted to do in my life. And I understand that there is this particular role. I take pride in it, right? So, and so James, go, going to you, I'm, you know, what, 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 what advice, how old are you first, James, if you don't mind me asking? <laughs> I got to know. I mean, my age in front of the world. I'm 38. I, you're 38. Okay. So, you know, that's good. Cause I'm, you know, I've, I've interviewed like I'm, I'm 29. Right. So 
people have asked me this on the air. I'm like, well, you know, I'm, I'm 29. Like, I'm like, you know, I'm only whatever. Like, I, I you know, I've, I've interviewed some people who are like 24, 25, and it's like, oh, you've only been in the industry like a couple of times. So I didn't want to put you in a position to have to like advise someone who was like, you know, three years younger than you. But obviously, you've got a ton of experience, right? And and, and you know, being 38, you you've seen things, right? Like, what what do you have to offer as far as you know, some information and some some guidance to some of the younger people getting involved in this particular industry based off of the things that that you know you alluded to having to go through prior to getting to where you're at today. Okay, I'm a I'm a I'm I'm gonna take it real deep, man, because this is what I identify with. Um, I identified this around. I, I was I was around in high school. Um, I it was I was I needed something from um some kind of information from my mom one day. And I called her while she was at work. And I noticed that when she answered the phone, her um her tone was different, her energy was different, you know, she sounded so energetic and happy and educated. And when she got home, I asked her, I was like, um, what, 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 why you do that? <laughs> she was and she and she told me something that I never forgot, and, and it's very prominent with me, and it's just the reality of it. Um, she said, let me tell you something. She said, you, you got to play that game and you got to play it to win. And that's something that I've always been conscious of. Um, like I've, I've never, I've never um, not been conscious of the fact that, you know, I'm a, I'm a young black man, you know, grew up from an inner city environment. And that if I was going to study, I was going to really study. Because I had to compete from the, the distance that I had to cover. Um, I understood that I had a greater distance to cover. So if, if my journey was going to take longer, you know, I had to start my travels early, early in the morning. Um, if my path of resistance was going to be greater, I had to be even stronger. Um, so throughout the whole time that I was an undergraduate studying for my um, CSCS, um, there's a there's a, a a place in Baton Rouge called Coffee Call, and every night, you know, I would go to Coffee Call, and I would study for four to six hours straight every night. I'm talking about I would stay in Coffee Call until they were mopping the floor, and um, and everybody there knew knew my name. They knew what what cappuccino I would drink, and um, the gentleman that worked there, he told me he was like. Man, I don't know what you're studying, but I bet you know it now. It is like for months and months, and that's just and that was and that was just my work ethic, and that was and and, and I and that never left me. Um, you know, till this day, I still try to be the first one in. If we got to set up, I try to set it up the night before. You know, if we got to set up cones, I want to set the cones up early. You know, and that's and because that, I, I I've just always been conscious of the fact that if if I got to play by the rules of the game, I got to play the game to win it. And um, that's the reality of it. I'm not going to make an excuse about it. I'm not going to complain about it. You know, I have to be about that action. So the action is, okay, so what are you going to do? You're just going to complain about the way the world is? Or are you going to take an aggressive approach and you're going to study harder? You're going to read more? You're going to um, do more conferences? You're going to do more seminars? You're going you, to write more programs? You're going to call? You're going to get on the phone and call people? that have these similar experiences, you're going to or reach out to other strength coaches. What are you going to do to cover that ground? What are you going to do to fight the resistance? And that's just something that's, um, that's never left me. And if I had any advice to um, any young strength coach, you know, 
um, male, female, um, black, white, you know, it doesn't matter what you have to do. You have to understand that it's very competitive and there are oppositions out there and you just have to heavily prepare yourself to meet the opposition. And that's what I, I tell them the same thing. I get emails and phone calls weekly on how can I make myself more marketable and, or what can I do? I spoke to a female last week who got a GA position and she was just like, you know, Coach Fingers, what advice do you have for me? And I was like, you're going to have to expose yourself to every sport. Okay, well, I'm working with, you know, cheer and I'm working with, you know, whatever other sport that is like two sports. I'm like, okay. So now you need to sneak and get into the room and watch baseball train, watch softball train, watch tennis train. Yeah, but I have, I'm hearing excuses now. Okay, so I have a class and then I have a part-time job in the evening. Okay, but then don't ask me for advice if you're not trying to hear it. You need to be exposed to all these teams that are training because you don't know what you think you know. So even if they don't, like I said, even if they don't have what you need at that university, what's locally? I am constantly reaching out to high schools near our school, a um, couple of colleges near Bethune Clickman. Hey, won't you guys come on over? Come watch us train. And when's your spring break? Okay, great. Come on. You're welcome to come in. You know, and we're talking certified strength coaches at like Emory Riddle, right down the street. We used to have a guy, cause they don't have football. And every time we max, I always call them, come help us out with doing max day. And they loved it. It was just like, wow, the energy is awesome. And I say, you know what you're doing? Going in there, spot them up. You got the linebackers today. What? I really got, come on in. I don't mind. And you don't understand other schools are the same way. If you just want to come and shadow, you know, see what my day is like, come on. So these younger strength coaches, they need to get exposure. They've got to. Um, those jobs where you work with only one sport are far and few between, you know, places like where we're at, we're looking for someone that's got a large variety of, of you know, people under their belt. A lot of you, you're able to work with your elite athletes and then you're also able to work with those who don't like the weight room or not or intimidated by it. You're not going to get that just working with the two assigned sports that you that your boss gave you. You know, right. sneak in, work with somebody else. I mean, you've got to work harder. And it's just meaning you got to get out of your comfort zone. That may mean getting up earlier in the morning to drive 30 minutes to a different school or a high school with a pad and, and pen and just writing down different things and then have questions. Hey, why did you do a kettlebell, you know, dumbbell swing or a kettlebell swing? What is that working on? Oh, hip drive. Okay. So why are you using hip drive with golfers? Oh, that makes sense. You know, we don't yeah. get that anymore. We don't get that. That is a that is a rarity, and I and I gotta say, James, if uh, if the strength and conditioning thing doesn't ever work out, you have a career in inspirational speaking. I totally understand what Coach Close is talking about now, and she says that you have a way with words when it comes to getting yeah. on the uh, getting on your athletes. It's like you're, you're getting on them without actually getting on them, and they don't even really know. I'm I'm sitting there, I'm like, is he, is he yelling at me right now? Is he, is he yelling at me right now? I'm, yeah, you don't even realize. Right, the tone right. come down. You know, most people I, I, go up. No, he comes yeah. down after. It's dangerous. Man. It's dangerous. Yeah, I'm not mad. I'm disappointed in you. That's, right. you know, that's, that's the that. thing. Hurts your, your heart. Hurts your heart. Hurts your heart. Hurts your soul. Oh my god, that is that was good. And James, I honestly, I I would if I had known you were 38, I wouldn't. I wouldn't have. I, I apologize <laughs> if I just put you on blast. 
But I mean, there's no like I'm I'm having trouble believing that you were anywhere older than 25. That's why I'm sitting here. So it's you know it, it's actually good for for everybody out there. This is what looking like 38. That's that's what it should look like. All right, there you go. You know, smooth skin, it's healthy, getting the vitamin D, solid. All right. So, and Florida weather. You know, eating well, yeah, exactly. Right, that's Florida right, weather. Right. So. No, it's uh, that's good. This is uh, this is all that that was probably one of the best in between the two of you guys. That, that was probably some of the best answers that I've gotten to some of these questions. And um, if you do you guys are you guys hard on time? Are you guys you guys got to? I just like do like five more minutes. I just got a couple good. more questions. Um, so Corliss, going with the, I just have a quick question about the Taekwondo. I saw that your son obviously performs some some form of martial arts, right? And and where is he at along that process? And do you do you have a particular reason, like did, was it your choice to get him involved in that? And is there a particular reason you decided to go that route? I'm, I'm very interested in, in the, the philosophy of that stuff. It's Taekwondo. Um, he is in the process of getting his second degree, black belt. He already has his first degree. He's got, he'll get his second degree in December. So he's doing all the testing and all the other stuff. The training still training. Right now we're doing Zoom because Florida's a hot mess with COVID. Um, but there is a reason. So after doing this for a long time, you kind of understand the movement. You understand sport movement. You understand body awareness. You understand, you know, how folks get injured, why they get injured. So we put him actually in gymnastics at the age of three just to learn how to control his body, the flexibility. And he did that for about two years. Um, and then we switched over to Taekwondo at the age of four to understand his own power, to learn how to generate his own power, to learn how to depend on himself before he can be an asset to another teammate. So he hasn't gotten into team sports yet. This year was the year we were supposed to start. Um, because we wanted him to, you can't, you can't have somebody depend on you if you can't depend on yourself yet. So when he's in the circle and he's sparring, you know, the hard work don't lie. You either put the work in or you didn't. And so Coach James has seen him in action. The kid has a lot of power. He is, yeah. his kicks you feel for a while. He has been um, <laughs> world champion. He's been district champion, been regional champion. Um, he actually won a regional title at the age of five with 103 fever. We didn't even know he had a virus, and he was feeling bad. And he kept going for these headshots. And I was like, I'm like, all the stuff we've been practicing, you know, why are you just, like, smacking kids in the head and knocking them out? He said, because headshots are three points. And I just didn't feel like it, not until on the way home. That's like, I don't think he's all right. Let's, you know, we take him to an urgency care. He had 103 fever. This kid was like knocking up, literally knocking kids out. But it's just teaching him his his body awareness. You know, with Taekwondo, it, it's, it's, it's a lot of strategy. Um, but then there's a lot of, you know, you either get kicked or you kick <laughs> someone else. Um, you give punches or you take punches. So he's learning a lot about just, Again, strategy, um, that inner inner core, that inner determination. Um, you only have two minutes and combat sparring. He's really good with that. Um, yeah. To you know, you come down in points and how to strategize to get back ahead. So that's the reason why we put him in taekwondo, and it's paying off. It really has. Just 
his legs are like tree trunks. Um, he's not your average 10 year old. He's 102 pounds. Right. He's actually got abs. Uh, that's kind of my fault. He's been lifting weights since he was about 10 months. He was pushing around a basket, laundry basket, mm-hmm. stuff thrown in it before he could walk. Leg drives. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Getting leg no drives. No <laughs> but yeah, I'm so proud of him. He's amazing. He's learning so much from being around athletics. You know, I'll make him do his form or some of the things he'll do um, around him to get used to a crowd. He took on two starting linebackers and combat sparring by himself. They were just attacking him, and he actually won. <laughs> so, yeah, wow. he's learning a lot. Uh, I think he's going to be a good wow. teammate. He's gonna, he'll yeah. be a good teammate just because he, he'll, he knows what it is, what it's like to fight to the end. Yeah, Literally. that's the type of activity that we need to have some of the, the younger kids that are coming into the world nowadays exposed to. You know, it's fun. in all seriousness, I mean, I, I, like you said, the, the the ability to understand how to be a good teammate and uh, body awareness. I love the fact that you had him in gymnastics at a young age. That's, that's something that I do plan on, on doing if I ever do decide to have kids. Be just Yeah, like gymnastics first, obviously body awareness and all the other uh, coordinative abilities that can kind of come from that. And then, you know, the taekwondo, the, the discipline, I, I think what I like most about the di- – like, I don't love – the UFC in particular, like I, I like boxing a little bit more because I feel like there's a little bit more rules, but the UFC is obviously a ton of different disciplines mixed into one. And, there, and there's, there's certain people that from what I understand from those specific disciplines, I don't love the fact that there's other discipline used in the same as, as theirs in the same octagon. Right. So I think that that's something that I, I really enjoyed is kind of taking a look at how much pride people take in their specific disciplines and then using that sport to develop the discipline needed to, you know, so that's, that's kind of where I like the, the whole Taekwondo. Cause when I saw that. I was like, you know, there, there's a reason that she's got it in Taekwondo. It's not just cause yeah. the kids like enjoy, you know what I mean? There's gotta be a reason to do that. So. Um, yeah. They got yeah. Miles, two and a half miles that have to be run under a certain time. And mm-hmm. um, their fit test is a certain amount of punches and a certain amount of kicks in like a minute or whatever. Like it's really physically brutal, brutal but it also teaches you how to fall. You right. know, he doesn't, I, I, that foundation will prevent a lot of injuries in other sports down the line. That's because a great he point. knows how to land, he knows how to fall. Gymnastics started that. Um, how yeah. to engage your core a little bit more when you twist in one way to kind of duck down, you know, shift your center of gravity and kick with another way. I mean, he's learning a lot from that that's going to apply to basketball, baseball, football, tennis. All of that's going to transfer over. Absolutely. I mean, it's an incredible foundation from a skill set. I've always believed the more skills you have, the more skills you can acquire, right? So if you're in a position where you have that foundation, uh, he's – He's definitely, definitely set up. What, what does your husband think? Does your husband get hit with some of those kicks sometimes? Is he like, well, yeah, well, well, yeah we have a, we have a uh, body shield that we use. Um, I used to be able to hold it for him. I, I can't anymore. <laughs> it's like yeah. I did it for him on Friday. He had some kicks in the class because they're doing the Zoom and they have some actually in the dojo. But they're kicking the, the, the dummies and he's like, Mom, I need you. And I'm sitting there. And I'm holding the bag, and he's kicking it. I gotta get my face right, you know. I can't let him know he's like knocking me off. I'm trying to get my face right. I'm leaning my hip into it, my shoulder into it. And the instructor on the Zoom is like, "Come on, mom, I need you to be stable." I'm like, "I'm trying." Like, that's unbelievable. Air power. So my husband. I had, I had one of my football players ask me the other day. He said, "Yeah, how do you think I would fare?" 
against, you know, he's, he's a tight end. So he's around, you know, he weighs like 250 or whatever. And he's like, how do you think I would fare against a 155 pound fighter? I, he's like, I would have no problem taking him down. Right. Right. And he was trying to get me to agree because all, all the other players, that, I was like, I was like, buddy, it wouldn't even be close and not in the direction that you're thinking. Like it, I was like, these guys have such an incredible ability to use their leverages, their skill, their technical abilities. Right. And to obviously take what they have from a, from an internal standpoint and just push it wherever they want to push it. They will figure out a way strategically to maximize and overcome your body. It doesn't matter. It doesn't, I don't care how much you weigh. You're probably at a disadvantage to be honest with you by being, by weighing 250. So that, that is, that is awesome. I really, I love to hear that. And it's, it's just funny because I've been listening to some podcasts lately on like the, the philosophy of why the generations have kind of changed. And as far as what younger kids were exposed to and this particular generation, what they weren't exposed to in terms of like outside exposure activities, yeah. activities right. So, um, and, and, you know, what that has kind of transcended into. And obviously that's for a, a whole separate podcast, you know what I mean? But it, it is, it is interesting. And so, um, James, I want to, I want to go back to you real quick. So I want to give the listeners some material and some, uh, whatever it be, maybe it'd be like podcast books, well, lectures and seminars, things that affect, what are some of the resources that you have learned from? Cause obviously you had mentioned all, all of your time, um, you know, in, in the coffee shops and whatever, just all this time you spent reading, let the world know, like, what were those things that you were reading? What are some of your biggest influencers and in in some of the, the people that you would like to push onto some of the younger people coming into the field or just, or just individuals in general? Like what, what are some of the, who are some of the, the influencers that you follow and have modeled some of your thoughts after? Well, I'll tell you what, under, under the umbrella of coaching, what I've found is that you become a better coach as you become a better person. And I remember it like it was yesterday. I was, um, I was at Liberty, and we were waiting for the women's swim team um, to come into the weight room. And at that time, I was, I was interning with Coach Jesse Iriziri. He was um, an assistant at Liberty. And he was talking to Coach Jake, um, the swim coach at the time. And they were talking about what they would listen to when they had these long road trips. And um, Coach Jesse mentioned Napoleon Hill, thinking oh. so rich. Yes. And that book pretty much, along with others, but that was really prominent, almost, almost life-changing, very powerful. Um, and from that, I began to listen to James Allen, as a man thinketh. Um, so all the times, it's not just about, you know, the, um, the strategic standpoint of this program development or things of that nature. Those things, once you become a credentialed strength and conditioning coach, you know, everybody know in our profession there's protocols, you know, I'm CSCS, we have to get our um, hours, Coach Fingers, a CSCCA, um, and she's made a way for us to attend these conferences, go to these conferences to, to, to help keep our credentials. So a lot of strength coaches know a lot of stuff. <laughs> but um, the things that have helped me under the umbrella of coaching and coach athletes, and that, that's everything that coaching encompasses, being a, being a mentor, being a teacher. Um, here at Bethune-Cookman, we talk about um, the head, the heart, and the hand. And <laughs> – we serve our programs to develop them in every aspect, um, mentally, physically, spiritually. Like I said, I've, 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 I've been in some unique situations where I've been able to, you know, exhibit faith and my belief system, you know, with my student athletes, you know, with my, you know, with, with, with the programs that I work with. And um, 
like I say, those are the things that, you know, help them better understand that, look, this is, this is more than just athletics. Like this is, this is real life situations, you know, because right. we can control the hour that we have with them, but the rest of the day when they're out there in society, they have to um, be able to protect themselves. Um, not just from, um, you know, physical attacks, but um, mental, emotional, spiritual as well. So um, those are some of the things, you know, as far as like reading, you know, that have been prominent, you know, in, in my career as a strength coach. That's a great answer. That's a great answer. And and so to, to you, Corliss, I'm sure you've got, you know, a, a list of, of some references as well. But if you could kind of just touch on, yeah, some of the, the material that you feel like you've dove into, like I said, it could be books, podcasts, anybody, man. training, conditioning, non-training, conditioning. What, what are what are some of the, the more prominent ones for you? I'm different. Mine hasn't been so much as um, material reading because, you know, I, I did that early in my career. Mine has been lately, I'd say in the past two years, is actually, I'll annoy you with a phone call and an email. I will annoy you. Those that I am interested in, how they've gotten where they've gotten, or um, I see them doing something and make a difference, I'll, I'll reach out, I'll call them. You know, I'll, right. I'll hunt you down now. I'll stalk right. you and just talk to me. Right. Tell me something. Um, I've been, you know, everybody's been doing all the, the webinars and, you know, listening to, you know, your, your strength coach collectives, you're listening to all the, you know, sort of strong, you're listening to all of these things. I do it differently. I don't just listen. I actually listen and I take notes. And then at the end, I always reach out to whoever presented and, and pull something out and say, hey, I really enjoyed the way you you know, discuss blah, 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 or could you elaborate a little bit more on the theory of blah, 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 and just make a connection. The majority of them will email me back, you know, open up the door. Now I can actually call them and I have another resource. It may not be print, but I have another resource that I can call up. Like one of the things that has really been helpful is the fact that we're not back in our weight room yet. But I have reached out to so many people that are back in the weight room to find out what's working for them, what's not working for them. So for me, it hasn't been print so much. It's been more of a picking up the phone. Coach James, like he said, one hour and 44 minutes we were on the phone. I was driving somewhere. I got his email. I'm old school. I ain't got time to send you back a whole long email. Let me just call you. What's your number? And I will talk to you. I can easily pull out more. I can find out exactly you know, what it is you're trying to get at, or I can explain to you a little bit more on what it is that I'm trying to get at or what I need. So for me, it hasn't been in so much as, like I said, what I've read in print or it's been more of connecting with others. You know, Gail Hatch, like Coach James said, was introduced to me by an intern um, that I had at Southern University. And now he's like my godfather. Like I can call him he old school. You think Gail Hatch is going to be emailing and podcasting? No. Yeah. <laughs> Pick up the phone. Coach Hatch, I had a question about the snatch. Okay, what you got? I still think Bulgarian is the best. Oh, now you really got them going. Don't you ever talk about how their theory is better. And it's just yeah. easier to get what I need or I learn that way. Because just like you've learned something, you saw my bio, you know, there's stuff missing, obviously. Ain't but so much yeah. you're going to get get out of a 45 minute, you know, beyond the chalk episode, um, it's going to be a little bit more through a conversation. You're going to find out something that you didn't know. 
And I've been able to pull something from every podcast and, you know, lecture that I listen to or watch and reach out to that person and, you know, either say how much I enjoyed something and then they respond with something else I didn't know. But for me, it's it, what, what's more fresh. Yes, there's been things I've read, books and whatever. Sure. What has stand out lately is not even lately, but as far as I can remember, I know the coaches before they were the big time coaches. Mm, yeah. yeah. I remember when they were GAs. I remember when they were, you know, little assistants, some of these major names, you know, we're talking 300,000 plus salary strength coaches. I knew them when they were no one, because one of the things I used to do when I was at Maryland, I used every Wednesday as my connect day. And that's Mm. something else I advise younger strength coaches to do. I have a spiral notebook. And every Wednesday, back in the day when you had the NCAA black book, before the web, you kind of like flipped the pages and had D1, D2, D3, NAIA. Every coach was in there with their contact for every sport. And I would flip through it and land. Okay, it looks like I'm calling, you know, New York University and asking the strength coach for swimming about whatever. And I kept right. the fire notebook and every Wednesday I made all these connections. So I kind of knew the big names before they were big names because I would call them and ask them about, hey, what is your conditioning test for baseball? Have you had right. any problems with, you know, overhead motion in the summer with baseball? You know, things like that. Take the notes. I'd rather do it that way. So yeah. I've learned most most of my knowledge has come from yeah. the phone to call them. That's an incre- that's incredible advice, and I'm I'm glad you put that out there, especially like I said for the for the younger professionals in the field to be able to say, yeah, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna call someone, I'm just gonna cold call somebody, you know, and I, and that's that's what I did when I was looking for my first internship in the field. I I literally would just I put up a map of the United States up on my laptop, and I was like, all right, I'm just gonna pick every single state or whatever that I think I'm like, okay. Call this person, call hey, you guys got an internship? You guys, are, I'll I'll work for you. I'll do whatever. You know what I mean? And just to the point, I would just start showing up at some of these places and in person, you know what I mean? Which I don't know if that would be necessarily recommended today, but you know, it's, it's, it's a great, it's a great opportunity. Like you said, connect with somebody, you know, the phone call goes so much further um, than just the, uh, than just the, the casual email, because people are going to get a ton of emails. You're going to get a bunch of text messages, yeah. but that phone call is a little more personal. I, I would actually also add to that. I think I've found that uh, leaving handwritten notes whenever you leave a particular facility or like say you move on to a different job. I like the handwritten note kind of thing. I feel like a little more old school, not necessarily like, you know, feather and ink, but you know, you write a pen, paper, you know what I mean? Like it has to be crazy. Yeah. yeah. I take yeah. time when, when we had our GA position or um, when I had an actual position available and all the applicants that applied, I actually took time to either call them or email them, but mainly call them and explain to them that we're going in a different direction and maybe why. Mm-hmm. And you'd be amazed at so many people that are like, you actually called me to tell me I didn't get the job, but the reason why, rather it was, you know, I just need a little bit more on your resume. So, I mean, I know you've worked with, you know, Alabama football. That's great. But this position is going to be working with, you know, tennis and women's basketball and golf. And I don't think you have the dynamics to work with that different layers of, you know, eliteness or the, demographic background, you know, so I was, I always did that. I, I feel better when somebody called me and tell me why. And there's another reason, like, I know you had said something earlier about buy-in with how I've been able to get people to buy in. I explain why we're doing what we're doing, 
when we're doing it. So even with football, you can't say, well, this is what I did when I played football. But as a coach, if you told me why I was doing it, you'll probably get more out of me. So you say, okay, we're going to stand on this building, we're going to jump off, and we're going to push this truck 40 yards. Why? Always going to work on your acceleration and your turnover. Okay. You know, so my approach to my athletes and my buy-in is why, you know, I'm going to tell you why we're doing the snatch, this many sets, this many reps at this time. It's going to help you because we're in season, we're doing this, or I explain why. So I'm going to call you and tell you why I didn't choose you or why you were almost there or, you know, not too many emails come my way to don't get a response. Uh, that's that's a great point and it's this is so funny because i was like i was debating bringing this up last night actually my brother was like you got to bring this up so you, you know Corliss doesn't know Corliss, you you don't know that i'm going to bring this up but it was about like two years ago right and i'm literally doing the same thing i was at this at this point i was an intern and i was looking for a ga spot and i saw that there was a ga spot open at bethune and i applied and you did that you to your word you did exactly what you got back to me and you told me you didn't just ignore the email even though it seemed like obviously at the time the position had already gotten filled and you know i was kind of just you know applying for a position but you got i think you actually might have said something about alabama football specifically too or i'm not really sure what it was but it was something it, i remember i remember i was like but she got back to me because there were so many ga chips that i applied for that i'd never even heard back from obviously so yeah for all the listeners out there she's she's speaking the truth close is 100 percent accurate she will get back to you it does not matter she's gonna make find a way to be uh to be you know sincere about it i guess is a good, good way to put it but it's a good thing no it's a and it's you know i believe everything happens for a reason whether that's true or not you know according to physics or not i don't know but like i i believe it and i think um you know it's a good thing that you you didn't accept me because my mom would have killed me if i gave her a call and told her i was moving down to florida because my mom was like yeah she she's not interested you know like i said my mom my mom's you know from italy and i'm the oldest of five boys in my family so it's like she doesn't want anybody leaving the nest so i'm I'm, you know i'm fortunate enough to still be up here in connecticut and be able to make this thing work so um, my child coach james is not true i tell everybody when my child go to high school i'm going to (laughs) oh y'all don't need me as a strength coach well i'm a volunteer i'm going to yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, um, I, I, I wish we could keep this going, but it, I think I'm I'm only supposed to keep these things an hour or whatever. So I, I'm gonna try to be, you know, I want to be able to continue doing these. So I gotta be able to stay with <laughs> them. Um, you guys, you guys have been phenomenal. Uh, I, you know, it's just this has obviously been super eye opening for me, and I hope it was eye opening for everybody who's listening. But and I hope that this was productive for you guys as well. I mean, it is Wednesday, so this is your, you know, the the day that you like to choose to try to branch out or whatever. So. It was great to meet you guys. I'll definitely get in contact with you once we're um, off this or whatever. But um, yeah, just if you guys have any any parting thoughts or anything that you want to say before before we head out, uh, we'll wrap up here in a little bit. But uh, but otherwise, I just I really wanted to thank you guys for taking the time to do this today, and I hope you thought it was productive. It was awesome. I had fun. You're now part of family, so anytime you're ever in the Daytona area, you have to come visit us. It's not like we're giving you a choice. If we find out you're in the area and you didn't come visit, we're gonna come for you. I mean, the only thing I'd like to say, parting-wise, you know, I think a lot of people kind of think down on a smaller school, um, you know, HBCU, D1, you know, AA, whatever, after spending 18 years in the ACC. I really like it here because we seem to make more of an impact. You know, I had some amazing, you know, athletes come my way. And you know, Coach James is in my office. You see some of the, the pictures on the wall. But... Here, I think we make a difference. We really do. It's more personal. You have more of an impact. You're appreciated. 
not that I wasn't in Maryland or Carolina or in Southern, just it's different. So I don't want anybody, if they ever get an opportunity to work at a smaller school, you know, to, to turn their nose up at it. Um, we do some good work here. It's, it's a great family atmosphere, but uh, I don't know. At the end of the day, I know that I touched somebody's life. And it's not about chasing a logo. It's not about chasing a mascot. It's, it's making a difference, leaving an imprint. And I, I think me and Coach James are leaving an imprint. Absolutely. I, I can um I can also agree with that um when it when when it pertains to um the HBCU specifically let, let let me say this going back to um like I say I didn't want to drag my story out along initially in the introduction but one of the primary reasons um that I went to Southern University when I was coming out of high school of course like I mentioned um I went to um Astruma High School that's the any city high school in um Baton Rouge Louisiana. And coming out of high school, there there was a big emphasis on teaching the kids coming out of Ostroma to pass a state examination called an exit test. So my other skills in other areas weren't as sharp. But at the time, Southern University was open admission. Southern University was open admission because I couldn't make a good enough ACT to go to um, – a PWI, for instance. So when I went to Southern University, and I always appreciate Southern University for this, um, the, the professors I had, you know, like um, I, I still remember them by name, Miss Kenshin, Miss Bobby Ned, um, those professors, you know, they looked at me and they invested in me like I was one of their own. They made sure that I could read, I could understand. They made sure I knew how to write resumes. They made sure that I took pride in my presentation, you know, how I dressed, how I spoke, because they, like I, like I mentioned, they looked at me as one of their own. And that's one thing that I always appreciate the HBCUs for investing in their students and putting quality products out into society. Now, don't get me wrong, because of the course of action, like, and, and like you said earlier, um, yeah, I, I do believe everything happens for a reason. I had to have a diverse situation and go to other institutions for the experiences. I wouldn't change the course of action because the, the experiences were so valuable. You know, when I was to Southeastern, the great people and the, and the great um, professors that I met at Southeastern. Through Southeastern, I met Steve and Chad Englehart. Um, I met Michael Chapman um, through Gail Hatch and Coach Tommy Byers. I met Coach Jeff Earls, you know. But like I say, going back to Struma High School, you know, I met Coach Marshall Hayes, you know, that I still connect with and talk with today. Um, and those situations throughout that course of action, that led to this point. But it all started with an institution investing in me as if I were their own. And um, like Coach Fingers um, said, I, um, I'm not, you know, I'm not into like chasing a logo just because of a big institution or you, you, you could, they can afford to pay you a lot of money. I feel excited about this that I do every day because I feel like I've answered a calling and this is what I've called to do. And um, this is our ministry and, I, and I'll be here until God calls me to do otherwise. <laughs> That is, that is phenomenal. I, I don't, I shouldn't add anything to that. Like I, we got to leave that as is. That is honestly the best, the best that anybody could have possibly put it. 
Corliss, James, you guys uh, obviously have crushed this podcast, in my opinion. You did a great job, and, and I'm glad to have met you, and we'll, we'll continue to connect down the road for sure. But, uh, again, I appreciate your time, and, and I wish you guys all the best from this crazy time right now that we're going through with COVID and everything going on. So I hope when, when you guys do transition back in that, that you're safe, and, and, and God bless you both for sure. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you. Be safe. Wash your hands. <laughs> I will. <laughs> all right. Have a good one. You too. Bye-bye. Take care.